You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. to Complementarianish number two, which we are calling In Defense of Martha. Um, if you are a new listener of Complementarianish and have migrated over from the Christian Feminist Podcast, welcome. Um, we're looking forward to delving into another great discussion tonight. And um, with me, as before, are Sarah Kluster and Alexis Neal. And we're going to go around the horn and introduce ourselves for any new listeners, starting with Alexis. Hello, uh, I'm Alexis Neal. Um, I am uh, currently living in southern Missouri with my husband, Coyle Neal, of the City of Man podcast, the political podcast in the Christian Humanist Radio Network, um, and our two sons. Uh, and I spend most of my time home with the boys, uh, but I do um, also teach part-time as an adjunct at Southwest Baptist University um, in a couple different departments, just anything related to the law. Um, and, and that is also where my husband uh, works full-time on the faculty uh, as well. Um, but most of the time I'm at home with uh, with a two-year-old and a four-year-old. So um, that tends to shape my perspective. And so I apologize if I have mommy brain and or can't think of any words longer than two syllables. Thanks, Sarah. How about you? Hi, my name is Sarah Kluster, and I am a librarian, and I am living and researching in Fort Worth, where I am married, going on about nine months now, so that's very exciting. And my husband is here completing his uh, PhD at TCU in history, and I have increasingly become a complementarian in my nine months of marriage, and so I um, am very excited for our uh, topic today in defense of Martha because I have I have many hot takes. Awesome. I am Katie Grubbs and I live in Houston, Texas with my husband David Grubbs of the Christian Four Children. I spend most of my time um, taking care of my kids, but um, I also am a uh, an adjunct uh, professor of English at Houston Baptist University, um, teaching English online, and I also teach Bible study in our and. Um, I wanted to talk about this passage today because um, I heard a sermon on it that made me frustrated and kind of taken things um, that I've heard said about my life. Um, I kind of felt like, particularly for in the complementarian sphere, I think it would be a conversation worth having. So listeners, actually what we're going to do, we're going to do things a little bit different. Um, so we're going to actually going to read through the Bible passages about Martha. So often we talk about th things from scripture, but we don't actually go straight to the text and um, see what's really there, what's on the page. So what we're going to do to begin is going to read through um, three passages in the New Testament where Martha appears, um, three kind of scenes. And we're going to split it up um, and we're going to do it together. This is going to begin and then um, Sarah is going to pick up the story um, and finish. And um, the passages, just before we get started, the passages that we're reading, the first passage um, that Alexis is going to read is um, Luke 10, 38 through 42. That's the first story. And then um, we'll be reading the long passage that is the resurrection of Lazarus. And um, Alexis is going to begin. That's in John 11. And that's going to go in total, Alexis and Sarah reading um, verses, John 11, verses 1 through 46. So that's a longer story. And then I'm going to finish up with a third scene, which is John 12, 1 through 8. Tonight, we're going to be reading from the ESV edition of the Bible. So it may be a little bit different than, than your scripture, whatever you happen to be reading out of, whichever translation you're out of. So we're going to go ahead and get started with our scripture reading. Go ahead, Alexis. All right. Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, 
Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And then John 11, uh, beginning of verse 1, uh, going through 16. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. All right, and now continuing in the rest of the story. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to him and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus was deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Okay, and I'm going to tell the last story, which is John 12, 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. 
Iscariot, one of the disciples, he was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he helped himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Okay, so that's kind of the three appearances of Martha and also Mary um, in the text. And so what we're kind of going to do now is just go into a little bit of our personal reactions to the text. So that's our first tonight is now that we've read through the text, let's talk for a little bit about either how we've responded to reading these texts this week, like rereading them for the podcast, or, you know, how you may have responded to the story in the past of Martha. Um, Sarah, would you like to go first? I would always like to go first, Katie. Uh, That's one of my spiritual gifts is the (laughs) ability to take charge. I'm very much Martha that way. So I have heard numerous services, um, sermons preached over this in my life, um, growing up as a Southern Baptist. And I, and it wasn't until I was really an adult and I had to be in charge of things at church and I was in charge of volunteering or bringing things for class or arranging, um, you know, Christmas parties and trying to get people to help that I was like, you know, Martha really got a bum rap, um, in all of these sermons that I've heard because, Frequently, you know, there's al- there's always in these sermons this kind of this glorification of Mary and that, you know, she's in there, she's listening to, to Christ. She's not burdened by the small details of, like, preparing food so people don't starve and all this kind of stuff. And I remember one in particular that really focused on the fact of, like, that she used this perfume and that this would have been a perfect and the sermon and the preacher talked about well this would this was clearly very expensive and this might have been part of her dowry but that didn't matter to her she loved christ so much that she was you know it was really that almost like a almost like a cain and abel comparison is how i've heard it in the past that you know mary is here bringing the first fruits of what she has and all of this and putting her attention on christ and martha you know is just Cain apparently running around trying to make sure that people are fed and that's not where our attention needs to be and as I've grown older and I've been the person in charge of trying to get other people to help um, to make things work to make sure that people have food I become much much more sympathetic uh, towards Martha and how she is traditionally portrayed Alexis how about you well, uh, the Martha stories have always made me feel a little conflicted and dissatisfied. Um, it, it is very similar to the way that I feel when I read about the older brother in the parable of the of the uh, uh, prodigal son, or when I read about the workers who started working in the morning and got paid the same as the workers who came in at the end of the day. I, I get the point of those parables, but that doesn't mean I like them. Um, and there's and there's you know all kinds of sinful reasons why that is the case, but they they do tend to rankle a little bit. And there's a part of me that that is just sort of dissatisfied with that. Um, I think as a result of again my my own sin. Um, so I, I get that Mary's was the better part. She has chosen the better part. Uh, but uh, like Sarah said, I I tend to be somewhat prosaic and practical, and my response is always what? So nobody makes dinner. Um, and and. Uh, I will say, to be fair, uh, when I was looking at this again in preparation for this podcast, the chapter immediately preceding this, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. So it isn't necessarily true that Martha has to make dinner. Um, Jesus has established that he is capable of taking care of the refreshments when need be. Um, but there was that practical, like, look, you, you know, this sounds good in theory, but at the end of the day, somebody's got to make supper or, or, or do whatever practical task needs to be done. Uh, and I do have some feelings about Mary as well, um, because she seems to to spend a lot of time feeling her feelings um, and not necessarily in a bad way. There's certainly a place for passion. And it's, it's uh, again, an area in my own life where uh, I could certainly uh, stand to improve. Um, but the, uh, to, to harken back to a previous episode of Christian feminist podcast, the Marilla in me is kind of prickly at the Anne in Mary. Um, uh, for those of you who are familiar with Anne of Green Gables, uh, you know, there, there is that, that practical, um, yeah, just down to earth quality um, that appeals to me about about Martha, um, as opposed to the uh, the more emotionally attuned um, 
and, and passionate or visibly passionate um, Mary. So, uh, and, and again, I, I think that part of it depends on how you interpret that initial reprimand that, that Martha receives. And I think I'd always interpreted it as Martha, you should be doing what Mary is doing. And I had questions about that. Um, but honestly, looking at this uh, in preparation for this podcast and then also looking at a couple commentaries, I was a little surprised to find that that's actually not the most common um, interpretation of the reprimand to Martha, which we can talk about in a minute. But um, it is not necessarily the case that the reprimand that she receives is that she should also be sitting um, and listening uh, like her sister. Yeah, I suppose also, you know, another, you know, valid interpretation just based on the words on the page is that he's not chastising Martha for not doing the same thing. He's saying, don't bother Mary. <laughs> like, because she says, why shouldn't I be doing what I'm yes. doing? Right. Um, yes. And I, yeah, because I think often the application given in church is Martha should have been like Mary, not Martha shouldn't hassle Mary, <laughs> which Jesus seems to be saying, don't hassle her. <laughs> well, and that's, um, that's but, particularly yeah, true I, given I, as you read in chapter 12. After everything else that happens, Martha's serving again. Like Martha's serving them in in John 12. So when Mary is breaking the jar of ointment and all of that, and the focus is primarily on Mary in that passage, but there's that line at the beginning. She's she's serving again, and she's not reprimanded this time. Um, so yeah, I think I think we yeah. need to. I I certainly think I needed to re-examine my assumption, a hasty assumption that what she's being reprimanded for was the serving as opposed to the heart condition and her attitude toward her sister. Yes, I would agree with that, and I do have to say, um, you know, one of my I, I I always kind of when I would read the story here at Totten Church. I mean, and 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 your your kind of parallels to older brother and the prodigal son story. Um, and the other story were perfect because of the older brother too. <laughs> um, but, and that, I don't think that's just because I'm an oldest child, but you know, it's, it's the kind of, um, a person might begin to feel the way that Martha sometimes preached about, um, a person might begin to feel that people who were always doing are somehow always wrong. That better thing is always to kind of sit in mystical communion with Christ, Marjorie Kemp style. And that that's what we're all really supposed to be doing. Um, and uh, I, the, the, my kind of immediate reaction to the story recently and to the way I've heard it taught recently has been one of frustration. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, um, I heard a sermon in church sermon recently, and I got really frustrated by the way that he portrayed Martha, in part because the day that he was, um, the day that I got straighted, he had already preached the resurrection of Lazarus earlier, I believe, but he, he was talking about the John 12 passage, and he, from just from Martha, like those two were spun out this whole kind of personality profile of a Martha. Like, and cause he talked about how he took, she's still the fact that she's still serving after the first kind of scenario, whatever, as that she's still the same person that she hasn't changed. And that was insanely thing to me because I think that you can see a spiritual arc in her, a spiritual change. I mean, she confesses to Christ, to him, who he is. And that's something that you don't see a lot of the other disciples do. You see Peter do it. Um, and she, she comes to him in faith and she says, I know that now whatever you ask will be given to you. To me, she absolutely, you know, is developing faith. So it feels profoundly unfair to say the, that she, that after that, all that happened, that she's still serving shows that she's somehow not growl is profoundly unfair to me. And also when he kind of, um, he, he was, um, he was looking at this John 12 chapter, John 12 story. And he laid out four personality profiles of a Lazarus, a Mary, a Martha, and a Judas. The Mary and Lazarus profiles were both very positive. The Martha and Judas ones were both negative. And I'm sitting in the audience thinking, come on, man, you're going to, you're going to lump that over here with Judas. Like it just felt so, so unfair. Martha is a and the saint. thing is like, she is literally a saint in the Catholic church. Right. Well, and the sad thing is that like some of the things that he, cause you know, he kind of made a description of a Martha. And the thing is some of the things that he said about a Martha, I think that the things that stuck in my head the most is he said, a Martha just does, 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 does all the time. And it almost as a way of avoiding like intimacy, like almost as a way of being down in the dirt with people and their emotions, like as a way of staying above it all. And I definitely think that there are people like that in life, but I don't think that from the Bible was actually like that. 
Like, I feel like that those people like that exist and those people do. They need to learn to be intimate. They need to learn to stop doing all the time because you can't work your way into heaven. All of that's absolutely true. Wrong to put that lesson on Martha because I don't think screwing us that that's what Martha was like. So I was very frustrated. Um, and when we got home, my husband said, he said, you know what? I could do it. You could do it about anybody in the story. He said, I could sit down and say, well, a Mary doesn't ever help out around the house and needs a lot of emotional maintenance because um, all people in the Lazarus story stick with her. The raising of Lazarus story, they all stick with her. Nobody cares that Martha left. They all just stay around me all the time. Like, you know, and he's not wrong. He said, you can do that to anything. Like, you could, you could make a, a negative profile for Mary from the same exact story. And so that, I think that, and he's right. And I think that kind of proves that to take something as brief as Martha served and try to spin it out, you know, which, and listeners, you think that I'm talking bad about my pastor behind his back. Um, I'm I, like, email has been sent out to him with all the same things that I'm saying right now. And he's, he's strong. He can take it. Um, so I'm not going to talk bad about him on the podcast and then not tell him that I was frustrated with the things that he said. Um, so, and anytime we read about, I was thinking about this today too. Anytime we read these stories in the gospels, you know, for those of us who are, are literalists in terms of we believe the Bible is the truth, then we believe that we are reading about historical real people. And so to me, to some degree, it's a very dangerous thing to then spin out what the, the, the small details we have about them into elaborate backstories or detailed personality profiles or things like that. That feels unfair. Um, to do it to anybody, you know, if Martha was the one who was always being derided in this scenario, that wouldn't be fair either. Um, so, um, okay, so listeners, we've talked about our personal reactions just to the text as we've read it. Um, so now the question, the next question is, what have we heard about Martha in the church? How has she been portrayed? Um, has she been portrayed differently in the complementarian church, perhaps, or not? So what, um, what thoughts did you ladies have about that? How have you Martha portrayed in the church? Well, like I said, I, I have a I have a very distinct memory of hearing sermons about, you know, look at Mary, look at how she is sitting with Christ. She is there. She's not letting the small things get to her. She's and again, one very specifically, I remember a sermon over very specifically that she used like the perfume um, and how, again, that it was kind of, uh, there was a comparison of almost like a Cain and Abel, like, look, she's like giving Christ this sacrificial perfume and she's doing this service and wiping his feet. And, you know, Martha's off doing this other thing and isn't even aware that this is going on. And we should be like Mary and giving Christ our first fruits. And like, there might've even been like a thing where they like roped it into tithing. Like you should just be giving, you should be giving and serving and not just do, I think part of it was, uh, for this, and I've heard others where it's like you should be giving and serving, not doing just one or the other, which I I, I do agree with. But yeah, I, I don't know if I've ever really heard something where Martha has ever really turned out well um, in really either of these passages, and I don't really think that that's a fair assessment um, because she seems to be doing a lot of stuff, and she seems to be you know this is her home. She is a uh, uh, she's out, um, she's serving, she's making a meal, and she seems to be somebody, a woman in this uh, very patriarchal society who seems to have a lot of agency, right? Um, in the Lazarus story, she's the one that goes out to Jesus. She hears that he's coming and she goes out to him. And she's upfront and she's honest with him. Um, you know, she's sad, but she is upfront and honest. And I think that a lot of times that's how we, we interact with God, which is like, why did this happen? You know, why did this happen? Because she wants to know. And I, um, and like I said, I, I kind of, I, I totally get that. Cause I, I feel, I, I feel a very a deep kinship with her. Um, a very, especially the, the thing that like, I feel the most kinship is when he's like, open the, he, you know, Christ says, open the, you know, roll the stone away. Just like, Oh no, no, you don't want to do that. That's going to be a bad smell. And I, I can just see myself doing something like that because I'm the type of person who is like, Oh no, I can't make chicken salad. I don't have, I don't have any white meat. You know, it's tacky to put dark meat in your chicken salad. I'm one of those kind of uh, women. And so the whole like, Oh no, no God, you can't do your thing because it's it, like, it's going to have a bad, like, I just, that just feels so much like something that I would do myself. Um, Katie, to your to your question about how 
how Martha's been portrayed in the church. I don't I don't have specific memories of ways that she was presented like in sermons to me. Most of my frustrations with her stem from my own reading of the text, which I now think is maybe not been as careful um, as as it ought to have been. Um, partly because in preparation for this podcast, I was looking at just a couple of resources that that I had handy, and and as I mentioned before, was surprised that that most of them were had not reached the same conclusion I had assumed um, uh, that the passage was making. Um, and that is that it was not wrong that, that Martha was making supper, uh, that her, her sin or her error was one of excess and heart condition. So um, for example, Matthew Henry focuses a lot on the words uh, that, that she is cumbered uh, about many things or much serving. And so focuses on sort of twofold. One is on the, the many and the much. So the idea being that she is trying to, um, to serve to excess, maybe overly concerned about the degree of the, of what she's offering, um, trying to be more lavish or, or caring more about what kind of meat is in the chicken salad, that kind of, kind of, um, uh, impulse, uh, and then also that she was cumbered or troubled or careful, uh, and that is that she was distressed. Um, and and what that made me think of, and then that was something that that popped up in Matthew Henry. It popped up um, in in Calvin, um, in his, John Calvin, in his writings on this passage, um, and then also in uh, in uh, Ryle's um, ex- expository thoughts on on the Book of Luke. Uh, all sort of made that similar point, and it reminded me of a piece that I had read, and we can put this in the show notes. Um, that was on the Gospel Coalition uh, that was written by Jen Wilkin, who I love, um, that was on why hospitality beats entertaining. Uh, and it's a fabulous, it's a fabulous piece. But she basically makes exactly the point about what uh, what these commentators think is going on with Martha. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and read this and hopefully it won't take a, take up too much of our time, but entertaining involves setting the perfect tablescape after an exhaustive search on Pinterest. It chooses a menu that will impress and then frets its way through each stage of preparation. It requires every throw pillow to be in place, every cobweb to be eradicated, every child to be neat and orderly. It plans extra time to don the perfect outfit before the first guest touches the doorbell on the seasonally decorated doorstep. And should any element of the plan fall short, entertaining perceives the entire evening to have been tainted. Entertaining focuses attention on self. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that to me fits a lot with what we see from Martha. Um, and, and specifically later in the piece, she talks about uh, entertaining being focused on the guests and spending time with them um, and not um, not being resentful, not being burdened. And so I think we certainly see um, Martha's response. She is she is cumbered. She is, is feeling the weight of that. Uh, and it, it, that fits uh, with my own experience as well, where there have been times where in my in my desire to bless my guests with a fantastic spread, I ended up so harried and stressed and stuck in the kitchen the whole time that I actually didn't spend any time with them, uh, or that my stress levels you know poisoned the whole event because you can tell when the cook is stressed, um, and that I would have done better to serve my guests pizza or sandwiches or something simple and then actually have the time to be out with them. So uh, to that extent, it seems like some of the commentators or a significant number of the commentators are basically making the point that this is an occasion that maybe calls for a crockpot meal or it's, you know, uh, first century equivalent. And uh, and maybe maybe Martha is trying to do more than that. Um, And so that then would fit with she's serving again later because the point was never don't make supper. The point was don't be fixated on the minutia and, and so focused on it that it is affecting your heart and your relationship with your sister and your relationship with the Lord. Um, so that, that I thought was really helpful. Uh, and then I wanted to, to mention one other thing that, that Ryle um, and also um, Kuiper mentioned uh, when I looked at them, and that was basically using Martha and Mary as a study in, honestly, the diversity in the body of Christ, um, that both are faithful disciples, both believe, both are converted, both honor Christ, both love Christ and are loved by Christ. Um, Ryle specifically describes Martha as active, stirring, impulsive, feeling strongly and speaking out all she felt. Mary is quiet, still contemplative, feeling deeply, saying less than she felt, but grace reigned in both hearts um, and, and focusing on just the, the different ways that grace works itself out in believers. Uh, and Kuiper specifically mentioned uh, that, that, that Mary is doing a better thing in the same way that maybe the preacher of the word is doing a more important thing than someone who is doing mercy ministry. Uh, and none of that means that you don't need mercy ministry, but you certainly don't want your mercy ministry team criticizing your pastor for preaching the word. Um, there is a uh, the way he phrases it is that Mary, what Mary's doing is worked in gold and Martha, what Martha's doing is worked in silver. So it is lesser, but it is still precious and important. And and there the the sin or the 
the problem is um, is that critiquing Mary for the better choice that she's making, um, and that that that's the real issue is that she's she's trying to make Mary do what she's doing and not that she shouldn't be in the kitchen in the first place. So those were just some of the things I wanted to, to mention from from the the resources that I looked at just this week that really affected my perception of what what Martha was doing that she oughtn't have been doing uh, and what the lesson then was um, that she was to take from it. And, and Sarah, like you said, I love that she's the one who comments on the odor because it totally fits her personality. She's about practicality. And so she's like, look, Hey, like, let's think about this. It's going to smell saying what she thinks and being really practical. um, Those are clearly, she's the same person, not in the sense that, she has not grown, but in the sense that she is a person and she continues to be the same person uh, every time we see her. And I think that is a person who expresses love by practical service. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, that That is something that that has a great deal of value in the church. And it, it is a legitimate way to say, uh, I care for you and I express love for you is to to feed someone or uh, or otherwise care for their practical needs. I really like what you said, too, about um, it being an expression of different personalities. And I think that's why I've always adored Martha, because I am I'm also a very practical, logistical. So, you know, my first thought has always been going to feed all these men if Martha just decides to sit down with Mary at the Lord's feet. And um, I think, too, that it's mentioning that he says Mary has chosen her part because Jesus like. So I don't think that Jesus is saying either that sitting is always better than doing that <laughs> sitting quietly is always about getting up and doing the practical tasks at the home what and, and i think and i think you get that too if you take if you story um the Mary and martha story and you put it next to the the last one we read in um in john 12 when you know or when judas is complaining about her you know, what he sees as wasting the perfume on jesus and he says the poor you will always have with you you don't always have me it's the same lesson that he's trying to give the is that I'm I'm the Christ. So Mary doing the better thing right now in this moment, her sitting on the floor right here doing nothing but paying the right thing because of who he is. Um, and I think that that gets sometimes too in presentations in the church. Um, I think that, and, and I, it's particularly frustrating too because I think something that's interesting to me is you might think um, that there would be more affirmation for Martha across the board in the complementarian church because of things that we believe about know um the value of women's work in the and you know and the complementarian church is very much about lifting up um women's work in the home as important and valued but to me i've always seen the same you know times when it's felt like that there's been a little more hate for martha and a little more lifting up of mary i've kind of seen that across the board like complementarian egalitarian it's kind of always there and that's interesting to me i would maybe have expected to see a little bit more grace towards martha in the complementarian church because uh particularly because um I could see where some complementarians might want to lift up Martha to the detriment of Mary because what Mary was doing was um, unusual and strange at the time. Um, And I know you mentioned this, Alexis, earlier before we kind of got into the meat of our discussion that, you know, usually it was always men who were seated at the feet of a teacher. That was not a place where women usually were supposed to be. And I wonder sometimes, too, if Martha's Lord you know, my sister's not even helping me in the kitchen. If that's not also a low key kind of veiled rebuke of Mary for even being in there amongst the men doing what at the time was a male thing. That was not something women would do. Just go sit at the feet of a rabbi and look. So that's another thing worth pointing out about the story that people don't really talk about in church. It's always, Oh, be like Mary. You know, you should really, you should, you should give your love and adoration to Jesus and him. And all that's totally true, but nobody ever says, or at least I've never heard it taught in church. Oh, by the way, what Mary was doing was actually a little bit scandalous and unusual and not something that, um, women usually did. So, um, any further thoughts about any of that stuff before we talk about our, our articles? we read? Go for it. Okay, so we are going to kind of quickly summarize really short articles tonight. And I'm going to apologize in advance, listeners. These are not like insane cutting-edge articles from yesterday. Um, one of them is from 14. I think the other one's from 2017. So that one's a little more recent. But um, I chose them because both of them are working with the theme of defending Martha. And um, just they mentioned a few things that hadn't occurred to me before. So um, to begin this, I'm going to kind of give a quick synopsis of the first article and then Sarah and then we'll talk about it. And then Sarah is going to give a synopsis of the second article. So the one that I'm talking about was um, written by Kari Donaldson um, for Alatea, the Alatea website, 
And um, it was written back in 2014, but I thought this was interesting. She called the article a Holy Week defense of Martha. So when she was writing this, it was Holy Week of 2014. And she kind of begins by talking about how people are always quick to disparage Martha and say, oh, don't be a Martha. And that's terrible. And she talks about getting agitated as a homemaker and hostess getting agitated about the story. Like um, she says, who's going to feed these people, Lord? Are your disciples going to get up and demonstrate that heart of service you're trying to teach them by doing women's work and cooking for all of us? Um, she says that she thinks maybe she missed the point of the story for a long time because that passage is so dang for her. And um, she says that... Um, Heard a, a mass um, at mass she'd heard uh, in the Lazarus story something she never heard before and so she talks about Martha going out after the death of Lazarus to talk to Jesus and she points out that this the fact that she left the house is really weird as um, in Judaism they would be sitting Shiva for seven days after the loved one has died and not supposed to leave the house except for very specific reasons and the reason Martha left the house would not be one of those reasons and yet she leaves the house and so she goes out to meet Christ. This is unusual. She's not in convention and, um, you know, says, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. And, she, but then she responds with faith. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And um, Donaldson says, and I love this, that um, it's the new, this new Martha um, who she thinks is an excellent guide during Holy Week. Um, at the, and I'm just going to read it. At the beginning of Lent, Jesus's admonishment of her misaligned priorities is also an admonishment of us. For the next 40 days, we were asked to wrestle with that. Did we bristle under the critique? Did we ignore it? Or did we say, okay, Jesus, how do I change? Um, and so she's kind of, she's kind of interpreting Martha in the later, in the Lazarus story as having changed in some way because of what Jesus said to her in the first story. And I'm not totally sure if I think that's true, but I do love the idea of thinking about uh, Martha's reaction to Jesus as something that we should emulate, um, that we should, um, go meet, you know, um, and respond with belief and faith. She says, imitate Martha for the rest of this holy week, unburden your heart to Jesus and place your trust in him. Um, and so I, I really like the idea of taking an application from the story of Martha that's not to do with any kind of focus on housework at all. Should you do it less? Probably. Should you be more like Mary? But instead, I love that this article is all about focusing on Martha's reaction to Christ in the second story. Um, the second to after the after the which is all anybody ever talks about and that's the other thing I forgot to say earlier when we were talking how is Martha talked about in church so all you hear about Martha is that first story where she was serving and she wanted Mary to help her I don't know I mean I think my, and to give my pastor credit his his recent sermon on the raising of Lazarus that was one of the only times I've ever heard Martha talked about that it wasn't about that first story um so and and part of that is that the part of the reason that happened is because he's literally preaching through John so so we had to talk about all of it um but anyway was there anything in that donaldson article that you guys particularly liked or was there anything that you maybe would critique or you thought she left out um i i really liked it and i appreciated it and again the the thing that i like that she, that she does is that she uh talks she kind of shows some growth for martha um which again i think is is good um so many times we we get the sense of like well this is this one thing or or we treat it as if these people are like we treat it as if it is a parable and not actual people and so it's very and so pe yes. we, we acted and so we're very reductionist about it and so that, that goes into a little bit the article i'll talk about but i like that she treated this as this is a woman who was a person who actually did things and that some of the things that she did were were good and that she you know that she had so much faith in Christ that she went out to him. She wasn't, um, you know, as I said a, a little earlier, she's a woman with some, with uh, agency, which I appreciate. Well, um, Sarah, do you want to go ahead and give us that quick synopsis of the Anderson article, please? Yes. So um, this one is from uh, 2017 and it's called A Word in Defense of Martha. And what the uh, author is talking about is that, Again, he he brings up the the Mary and Martha story, and talks about again how Martha gets a, a bad rap. And he mentions actually a book that I used to own by Joanna Weaver called "Having a Merry Heart in a Martha World," and it was a a Bible study. And basically, the idea was how to how to be more like Mary when your life requires you to be more, to be more like Martha. And 
if memory serves, I haven't really looked at this in literally probably a decade. So I was in my early 20s when I read it. But I remember being, you know, I remember that particular one being pretty good, but not necessarily world-shaking. But one of the things he, he, he kind of spins off of that and talks about um, that, again, we, we have this uh, tendency to talk about uh, Mary and Martha as if they are a parable and not real people. And so he mentions very specifically that, you know, we, we hold Martha up like this as if, you know, this this is a, this is the one time we see her uh, chastised by by Christ. But that would be the same as saying, like, well, the only thing we know about Peter is that he denied Christ three times. And not that he was the rock in which Christ is going to build his church, that he was the first pope and all these other things. Um and what he what he does is he he actually um, really uh, draws the distinction that that uh, Martha is uh, that that Christ just interacts with them very differently depending on what their needs are. And so for Martha, that she it, he interacts interacts with her and he appeals to her intellect um, by asking you know do, do you believe and very similar in her the way he actually talks with Peter and that with. Mary, uh, she seems to have different needs. She says the same things to him, right? Like, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But he comforts her and he reacts with her differently. And so for this article, um, it is really uh, talking about that, you know, God can meet you, depend, can meet you where your, your needs are. And that... Um, yeah. And so I, I really enjoy it. Um, and I, I liked it. And then he uh, had a little bit of a, a thing on the end that apparently he was writing it on St. Martha's feast day. And I looked it up and St. Martha is the uh, patron saint of housewives. So there you go. Uh, ladies, what did y'all think about this article? Anything that, uh, that got left out or you think should be added? Well, I think like you, I really appreciated the comparison with Peter because um, sort of like you were sharing at the beginning, Katie, with your experience with your, your pastor, uh, you could envision, right, a sermon about how you should not be a Peter in a particular way, right? You could be preaching through, you know, say, oh, like the denial of Christ or Peter at the Transfiguration or honestly, Peter, a lot of different times. And you could craft a whole sermon about don't be a Peter in this particular way. Um, but of course, you would never say don't be a Peter across the board, um, because there is so much that Peter does that that we would do well to emulate. Uh, and like Martha, Peter is one of those New Testament characters where I think it's it's easier to envision him as an actual entire human person. So there, there are times when you'll read Peter's response and, and you will kind of catch yourself chuckling or, or rolling your eyes because of course Peter says, let's just build a, you know, build a tent here and stay here forever. Or, Oh Jesus, then wash all of me. If you have to wash my feet for me to be clean. And he's, you know, he's given to given to excess and exuberance and all of these things. Uh, and he feels like an actual person and you can sort of predict his responses and, and lo and behold, that's how he often responds. Um, and that is put to good use uh, and and tempered and matured as he grows in faith. Uh, and in the same way as we've been talking about, Martha has that she is being herself um, and she is still herself uh, even as she grows and matures. Um, but she, she feels like an actual whole person, which is nice and refreshing, um, particularly as a female character. And as we've also talked about, a, a female character who in many ways we identify with. Um, but yeah, I, I really appreciated that because – yeah, we we can take particular behaviors of saints, lowercase s saints, um, as uh, as a warning. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're not a saint, and we don't want to 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 make the mistake of treating them like a Judas, right? So you can talk about don't be like Noah, right? There are aspects of Noah's behavior that we ought not to emulate. Um, but you would never want to say, don't be like Noah across the board. You would want to say, yes, but also be like Noah. And you wouldn't want to say, don't be like Noah in the same way that you would say, don't be like everyone else who wasn't on the ark. Um, and, and so that we have those stories of, of weakness and frailty. Uh, and as as um, these pieces are pointing out, as a model of repentance, um, which is really helpful. So I just, I really appreciated that comparison. Obviously, Martha is not, you know, as prevalent or as significant in the stories as Peter is, but but yeah, she is someone who appears multiple times and we don't want to let one anecdote about her color our entire perspective on her uh, when we have other examples of behavior that, that don't fit that more narrow narrative. 
I really liked in this article when he talked about um, it's it's he said quote it's beautiful to watch the different approach Jesus takes with these two saintly women um, and and it's kind of tailored to their personalities and like you mentioned Sarah you know he, he cries with Mary right it's he doesn't start crying till Mary shows shows up he cries with Mary he seems to be engaging Martha's mind and her beliefs and um, and you know she. And he also responds to them in kind. So Mary seems to have been, an, um, you know, a person who's more um, expressing emotion in public the entire time. Every scene we see her, she seems to be contemplating the Lord. Or in the scene with Lazarus, she's, you know, um, she seems to be grieving at home. And then in the final scene, she's, you know, washing Jesus' feet with her hair. And Jesus responds to her in a more emotional way. Martha boldly seeks him out and, you know, questions him. And so he gives her you know, a challenging substantive answer. And he asks with question, he responds to her with a question. And it just shows um, the, the, you know, the individual care and attention that Jesus was giving them. Um, and I, it's interesting, and I didn't do this on purpose. Both of the articles that I found were from Catholic websites and may, perhaps that shouldn't be surprising. I mean, because Martha is venerated as a saint, I do think that maybe she doesn't, I do think that she is you know, given more honor in the Catholic realm than she is given in the Protestant church, um, generally speaking. Um, and probably that's because she's considered a saint. So, um, I liked what he said at the end. Um, like you said, Sarah, he was writing on St. Martha's feast day, but he said, personally, I'll be picking some mundane task of mowing the lawn or doing the dishes and will offer it up as a prayer to St. Martha for her intercession, um, that I might come to know and love Christ as deeply as, as her words and actions give testimony. And I thought that was wonderful. Um, I'm not, you know, intercessorily praying to, praying to saints, but I, I liked the idea that, again, that you would emulate Martha's spiritual response to Christ, um, that that would be the takeaway from the story. Um, well, we've kind of worked our way through the Bible text. We've worked our way through some articles. So we're going to kind of wind things down now with tonight's final question. And tonight's final question is, is, is one more personal question, um, which is, are you a Martha? Why or why not? And if you do consider yourself a Martha, how do you feel about that conclusion, given our discussion tonight? Would you like to start, Alexis? Sure. I am 150% a Martha. Um, uh, as we've sort of all talked about here, I tend to be practical. Um, I don't tend to be emotive. I tend to say what I'm thinking, and I tend to maybe not always be as gracious about other people uh, in my thoughts and then the resulting words about them. So um, if I thought that my sister wasn't helping when she should have, I would probably make that known. Um, so yes, 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 and yes across the board. Um, and how I feel about that, I, I feel better about it having gone through some some materials for this podcast uh, like i said feel better about it realizing that the solution is not to be a mary but to be a better martha uh, if that makes sense so to serve but to serve lovingly to serve graciously to serve keeping in mind the one thing that is needful um to tailor that service to the actual need of the moment rather than my own pride um, and to serve knowing that others are maybe called to a, a different expression of love for their savior than I am called to. Uh, so, um, yeah, so I feel a lot better about that, thinking about the, the idea is to still be the person that God has made me to be, um, but to be transformed so that I am, I am performing my acts of service um, out of a pure and, and loving heart. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's how I feel about it. How about you, Sarah? I am 150% a Martha myself. And as we're, we're reading the things, talking about what Martha's doing, even in my own sinful nature, I'm saying like, but I mean, you know, it's, that's what needed to be done. And sometimes, uh, you know, people need, you know, it's, I am so much of a, I have so much, I can get, uh, as my uh, husband calls it, like hostess brain to where I, you know, people are coming over on, Saturday and I know a week and a half before and so I'm planning minutely what are we going to make and what's this recipe going to be and you know and for me part of it is I I enjoy that and but what ends up happening is because I enjoy cooking and I enjoy hostessing I can instead of it being something that I I want to use this to serve people enjoy it I can kind of wallow in it and just and so I I definitely am someone who occasionally is uh I think maybe one of you uh 
Bright Ladies mentioned earlier, I need to say like, yes, maybe dinner needs to be made, but maybe I could just put a crock pot on rather than being like, oh, let me like being in the kitchen doing things and all that. And so um, that very much uh, holds me real life. And when I'm doing things for church or, you know, why, um, you know, I'm here doing all this service stuff, but yet those people are just doing, you know, it's it's still very much a thing that I, I struggle with myself. And so this uh, reading this, you know, it was just, I, even during the discussion, I could feel like, like this little, like Christ kind of like tapping on my head, like, Hey, Hey, you, you need to work on this. So it was, it was a very, uh, a, a very good discussion. I feel like that I am a Martha and according to my natural predilections in the sense that I like to be up and doing, um, I've never been the kind of person who enjoys sitting quiet in quiet contemplation. And, um, so I've always, I've always identified myself with Martha and never felt terrible about that though, though, as we've said, generally speaking, we're urged to be more like Mary. Um, but I think that, you know, as a result of preparing for this discussion and kind of think and reading all the biblical texts again and thinking it through, I think that perhaps, um, what I should do is, um, is definitely not, not, you know, bash myself, not blame myself for being more of a Martha in terms of wanting to be up and doing, but perhaps what I ought to emulate Mary in is not necessarily the fact that she was sitting quietly or whatever, but that she was recognizing Christ. She was recognizing the true value of what was right in front of her, which was the Messiah. And so um, I think, you know, um, we mentioned earlier, I think you said it, Alexis, about, you know, Mar being, being a, you know, Martha in a different way or, um, you know, being a, a better Martha, not turning into Mary, but being a better version of herself. And I think that you can absolutely have a Martha personality in the things you like to do, but still have that focus on the primacy of Christ. And I think that Martha has that in the second story. You know, when she shows up and says, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died, but I know that you could fix it. I believe that. And, you know, and confesses that he is the Christ. She's doing that. She's recognizing his, that he is all important, um, as Mary has already done in the first story. So I think that, um, I think I feel fine continuing to be like Martha, but perhaps be maybe strive to be like the Martha of the Lazarus resurrection story. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that, I think it's been, a, it's been a, a rewarding experience kind of taking a deep dive into this idea. And, and so often, you know, it's working, Mary and Martha's happening on a level, even of just kids Sunday school stories, right? So it's always great to think through that, you know, these were real adult human people with multifaceted personalities a long, long time ago. And we just have a little tiny slice of, of their life. Um, there's so much I still don't know about them. You know, why was it Martha's house? What happened to their parents? Why wasn't it called Lazarus's house? You know, because he's the he's the male family member. All kinds of things that um, there are theories about, and we didn't go into that stuff tonight. But um, anyway, well, thank you both so much for joining um, for joining in the discussion tonight in defense of Martha. Thanks so much for listening to Complementarianish. Complementarianish is presented by the Christian Feminist Podcast, a member of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Kristen Philippic is our publishing liaison. If you would like to communicate with us with ideas for episodes or if you have comments on what you've heard, please get in touch with us at christianfeministpodcast at gmail.com and place complimentarianish in the subject line. Um, be on the lookout for another complimentarianish episode coming soon.